Today, we're going to be looking into Psalm 90, or rather, Psalm 90 is going to be looking into us. Psalm 90 was the first psalm written hundreds of years before the other psalms. Its inspired author was Moses, the only one he wrote. Psalm 90 is actually Psalm 1. Now, some Hebrew scribes rearranged it into five books, and actually the first psalm is in the fourth book. There's 150 psalms, and they arrange it into five books. They would also sing some of these psalms, especially what they call the the hollow or halal, depending on how you pronounced it. And that's Psalm 113 to 118. This is just by the way. You don't have to remember this. But they sang these psalms, and they were... The Hebrew word for psalm means praise or to shine. And the Hallel in Psalm 113 to 118, they added on to that so it would become Hallelujah. And that's where that comes from. So, The Psalms are supposed to shine. So let's see if it shines to you as I read Psalm 90. From Moses at the end of his life. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, you gave birth to the earth and the world. Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man back to dust and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. You have swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep. In the morning they are like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening it fades and withers away. For we have been consumed by your anger. And by your wrath we have been dismayed. You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days have been declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. As for the days of our life, they shall contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow. For soon it's gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Do return, O Lord. How long will it be? And be sorry for your servants. O satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us and the years we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. 
So here's Moses. He's at the end of his days. He was chosen by God to lead the nation Israel out of Egyptian bondage. Moses was chosen to lead this nation of slaves to the promised land, but they never made it. They wandered around in the world, complaining about everything, grumbling against God, and resenting the leadership. We haven't changed much. Actually, though, they squandered their life. They squandered their life walking in circles. They squandered the life that God had given to them. They were too attached to earthly things and did not have an eternal perspective about life. That's what I'm going to try to give you today, an eternal perspective on your life. This isn't a history lesson. This is for us. We can divide that psalm easily in the four sections. Verses 1 through 2 is the eternal nature of God. 3 through 6 is his sovereign authority over man and everything else. And then 7 through 11, his anger and his discipline. And then lastly, his mercy and his willingness to restore us. The key verse, or the thunder of the psalm, is verse 12. Teach us to number our days. In that vein, Jonathan Edwards once prayed, Dear God, stamp eternity on my eyeballs that I might see everything in light of your eternity. Edwards was committed to not wasting time. He was a man who wanted to make his life count in God's perspective, to live every day as if it were his last. So here's a question for you. If you had one more day to live, What would you do? I would suggest that that's what you should do now. Well, let's look at eternal God for a moment. Note that Moses says, you to God. These words are Moses not speaking to Israel. This is Moses speaking to God sort of acknowledging God's glory and sovereignty. He begins with, you have been our dwelling place. God is our dwelling place, is what he said. Now that's quite an upgrade in life, isn't it? Psalm 91, which is, Right after it, this is a test. Psalm 91.1 says, We dwell in the shadow of the Almighty. Let me ask you that. 
Is that how you see your life? As dwelling in the shadow of the Almighty? I hope so. Because that isn't just important. That's like everything. We dwell in the shadow of the Almighty. What a glorious self-concept. Rather than, you know, muddling along in self-pity and broken-heartedness and malcontentedness, we can stand tall that we live in the shadow of the Almighty. That's an upgrade of life, isn't it? We too must remember in this covenant, it's even an upgrade from that, that God is in us and we are in him. No other religion talks like that. That Christ is in us. That in Christ we have everything important in eternity. Everything that God has for us is in Christ and we already have it. We are kept by eternal God. Nothing can touch us. And he cares about what we do with him in us. He is in us and he cares what we do as we carry his life about. And he would that we would focus on that truth. What truth is that? That we are carrying about the life of Christ. Well, verse 2. More about him, our triune God, is not just our, our dwelling place, but he is eternally existent. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God, says Moses. A favorite book of mine that has turned really yellow. It's written by a, an Anglican guy by the name of J.B. Phillips. And the title is rather catchy. It's entitled, Your God is Too Small. Your God is Too Small. Phillips goes on to say, God is not like a souped-up one of us. He's completely other. He sits in another realm, and he measures life to his creatures. And he desires his people to live in the light of that glory. That God is measuring life to us. And he says that's a glorious thing. You're not worried about something today, are you? I mean, God is measuring life to us. We live in the shadow of the Almighty. Do you have anything to worry about? And why? You see, it's an eternal perspective of life. Odd that Moses would bring that up after 119 years or so. But it's still true today. Turn with me, if you will, to Acts 17, and let's see what God tells us through Luke. About verse 24... The God who made the world 
and all the things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and Lord of earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all life and breath and all things. And he made from one every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they should seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. Did you see it, what he wants us to do? Well, it's up there in verse 27. Seek him. Seek him. In everything, in all of life, in all of what you're going to do today. Another verse says, make every thought captive. You know, never recover from being in Christ. Don't somehow forget the privilege and the glory of that, that we are in Christ. With that thought and Acts 17, we understand that eternity actually supersedes life. If we have eternity, why are we frustrated in time? This is not our home. Our home is the Lord. That is where our home is. We dwell in him. And though Israel wandered 40 years, God remained their dwelling place. This is at the end of the deal. And Moses is saying, you're still our dwelling place. God remained their God. God is home for your soul. You ever speak to your soul? Saying like soul? You know, we're all three people. We are one person to everybody else. And then we are another person to ourselves. And then there's the real person. And that real person belongs to God if you're in Christ. Like I say, don't forget the glory of this thing. Don't somehow muddle around in the desert for 40 years. This is the wonder of being in Christ. No matter where life leads or how much time he gives you, and by the way, he gives you time. Time doesn't mean anything to God, but he gives us time. Psalm 139 says that God has numbered our days in eternity past. We have an expiration date and we'll never change it. Quit worrying about it. You're not worried about dying, are you? Quit worrying about such minor things. You've got just enough time given to you by God to become somebody in his eyes. So there you go. Become somebody in the eyes of God. You know, I've preached this in a place 
where people live in these little mud huts, and they'll never leave. They spend their whole life following goats and stuff around, and they'll never leave that village. They've been there for hundreds of years. And yet, God says to them, your life can be absolutely significant in my eyes, and you'll never be great. They'll spend their whole life speaking in tongues. The people in the refugee camps, there's two big ones in Kenya, Kakuma and Dadaab. They're hanging on a fence. And people have to preach to them and say, you can be somebody in Christ. See, he's that big. He does that much. Because it doesn't matter where he, where he gives us time. It's what we do with it. Well, number two. His sovereign authority. To all of us, God will one day say, back to dust. Now that's just your body in this life. It sounds like the end, but it's not. Now Moses didn't have the picture in 1400 BC, but we certainly do. He didn't have Ecclesiastes 7.1, where God says, the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. That's encouraging, isn't it? All you all gray heads out there. Hey, we're getting close to this thing. We're getting close to the best day of our life. But Moses is just sort of remembering the shortness and the frailty of earthly life. Life just passes so fast. Someone has said, the days move slowly, but the years move fast. Time is nothing in light of eternity. Time is like this big. Eternity like goes forever in both directions. <laughs> so he cuts out 70 or 80 years if we're strong for us, for you, to become somebody in his eyes. He says life is like a watch in the night, you know, a few hours, or like a flood and comes and wipes things away and people just fall asleep, or like desert grass that withers in a day. Now, we don't know anything about that kind of grass in here, but in the desert, that's what the critters live on. You see, in the morning, grass comes up a little bit, and all these critters are digging around for these little shrouds of something, and by the end of the day, they're all gone. But come morning, there's some more little things to gravel around and eat. And so for people who live in the desert, they know what that verse is. Now, these people were in the desert, you realize, in this. Arabian Peninsula there. Moses' prayer is leading up to something, and it's of utter importance to us. So God is great. Life is short. But then the third thing he talks about in this psalm is the anger and the discipline of God. Verse 7 through 9 is actually the story of Israel. 
We have been consumed by your anger. You have placed our iniquities before you and our secret sins. Oh, you know what those are, right? Those are things about us that we wouldn't tell anybody. But God sees it all. You know, here he he miraculously rescued them from slavery. He parted the Red Sea, and then he flooded all the Egyptian soldiers behind him. He wiped out the army. He led them by day and by night, fire and cloud. They should have reached the promised land in just a couple of months. There was only a little over a million of them on like a desert camping trip. Can you imagine? Where'd they go to the toilet? Well, there's rules for that, you know. I hope. There are. There really are. You guys stay with me here. God had given them life. He had given them vision, and he was leading the way. You would think that, wow, they, were, they just got out of the Red Sea, and even Miriam was dancing. Really. But here we are, 40 years later, and they're still wandering in the desert. walking in circles, complaining about food, water, and government. Now, we don't complain about water here in Minnesota, but if you lived in the desert, you realize that water is life. Water is everything in the desert. You don't get to wash your clothes. You don't get to do anything. You don't even get to cook. You just want to drink some water. That's how these people live. Even Moses, you know, We don't just have to pick on Israel. Even Moses had a dark side that God showed him at a place called Meribah. Now there's two Meribahs. I don't want to get into a history lesson, but let's just turn to Numbers 20. And you would think certainly God would let Moses into the promised land. I mean, you called him for that and everything. What what happened? Well, Numbers 20. And the people were, as you always are, you're out of water. So then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the rod, you know, this grand rod that Moses carried around. You and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation and speak to the rock before their eyes that it may yield its water. You shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock and let the congregation and their beasts drink. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord, just as he has commanded, and Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock and said to them, Listen now, you rebels. Shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? And then Moses lifted up his hand and he struck the rock Twice with his rod, and water came forth, and they all drank. You would think, that's no big deal, is it? 
That's exactly what he did at the other Mirabah. But the Lord said to Moses, verse 12, because you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. So stay with me if you weren't listening. God says to Moses, you need, I realize you need water. Now go speak to this rock and I'll make the water come up. So Moses goes to the rock, he takes the rock, and he beats on the rock twice. Doesn't seem that serious, does it? Well, if you were Moses, it would be. Knowing what Moses knew, he, first of all, he disobeyed God. God said, speak to the rock. And then there's, there's something more sinister going on here. Now, either Moses is prideful about him and his miracle stick, or he's irritated with God's timing. You haven't ever done that, have you? Been irritated with God's timing in your life? It's possible, isn't it? But worse, he became angry. He even had a little fit at the rock. He took his miracle stick and started beating on the rock with it. Now, Moses, God said, just speak to that rock. It sounds like a serious discipline, doesn't it? I'll tell you what, Moses. You're not going to get into the promised land because of your little fit here at Mirabah. You don't have them little fits, do you? There are consequences for disobedience, the short of that story. There are consequences for disobeying God. There are consequences for throwing little fits in front of him for the fate of your life. Anger against God. Be careful in your time. Moses just forfeited an earthly joy, but now God didn't abandon the guy. He actually showed him the promised land from the mountain before he died. Uh, Moses appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration, you know, in the New Testament. He got a write-up in Hebrews 11, and God never mentions Mirabah. I'm glad he doesn't hold that stuff against us, huh? But the Lord's discipline can be painful. But don't let it stop you from getting back in the race. If this, these things can happen to Moses, it can certainly happen to us. Get back in the race. In fact, discipline is God's way of cleaning out our defects. You see, there is something wrong inside of Moses and God cleaned it up. Costly as it was, he cleaned it up. Seventy or eighty years, is that all we get? And they're full of labor and sorrow? Well, most of us can attest to that. There's a lot of labor and sorrow out in the world, isn't there? 
Verse 10 seems to speak of man's fallenness. But it does say we just, at the end, fly away. Now, that's a good thing. I have a favorite song of mine called Angels in the Room. Angels in the Room. When you die, we just fly away. So God has judged man concerning sin, you know. We live on a fallen planet. We walk around in a flesh that disobeys God. We have spiritual enemies that are throwing arrows at us, and they hurt, right? However, we fly away at the end. Death is complete in every generation. Chances are good that you're all going to die. Verse 11 tells us that we should have a healthy fear of God. Who understands the power of your anger? But we don't understand it because we also realize that God made this whole thing. He started this whole life. He knew that all these problems would come. He actually ordered them. Wow, what's going on here? I mean, you've, you've got me living in this tragic life here, and yet you said that you'll get us through it? And you'll get us to the kingdom? And you'll give up everything that you have before we even get there? That's the deal? Yeah, that's the deal. What a deal. I told you, don't ever recover from that. We don't have anything to be afraid of. We got this. Actually, he's got this. Verse 12 is the thunder. And the conclusion. That's why that little word, so, appears there. So, teach us to number our days. Well, the good thing about it, it says teach us. That means that we don't have this naturally. We don't come by these understandings out of our own brilliance. He has to teach us those things. And so, the next question we should ask, how long? How long? Well, as long as it takes. Some of us are slower and some of us are faster. We have to learn from God, otherwise we'll just waste our life away. If you don't learn these things, you'll just waste your life. And then regret it in the end. So today, I'm talking to you about not wasting your life anymore if that's what you've been doing. Worst of all, to blame it on God. That's what Israel did. You brought us here. We don't have any food. We wish we had meat like back in Egypt. I don't know what they ate in Egypt. Donkeys? Donkeys? 
somehow tolerating sin in our life without bringing before God is the problem. That's what Israel, you know, they, they, they did not do this once or twice. That was their whole life. Their whole life was lived in discipline. Now, don't do that. It hurts. He says to number our days. Number our days. I got my calculator out. I've lived 28,617 days. Is that what he's wanting? Is that it? Tomorrow it'll be 28,618. Well, it's not really 28,000 days of my life that I've wasted. Well, because I was a dumb kid for 6,000 of them. And then I wasted my, my ill-spent youth took care of another 3,000 of those days. And I was in the Army. That took care of a little over 700 of those days. So 19,000 then. But then I sleep. That takes care of 6,000 days. So then that leaves me with 13,000 days to number my life where I'm awake. Is that what he wants me to do? That's 35 years. 35 years. You know, I should have been smarter. I've got 35 years to learn all this stuff, and, and I haven't learned it yet. Now, if you, now, if you're younger than me, I'll be 79, just almost, almost old enough to start like Moses did. He started at 80, you know. Remember, he was 40 years old. He killed the Egyptian, runs away to Midian, marries Zipporah, has two boys. And then one day, he's walking where he walks in Midian, and the bush speaks to him. This is God's. Moses says, here I am. And he starts walking toward the bush, and God says, you know what? Take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. You know, every time God speaks to us, we are standing on holy ground. Can you see these days like this? If you want to hear God speak, read his word out loud. That's him speaking, and it's holy ground. Don't let it just pass you by. But there's the goal of life right in front of us. The goal of life. Teach us to number our days so that we can present to you a heart of wisdom. Oh, there's a presentation to be done. What's the presentation? Well, I would suggest there's two of them. The first presentation is the life you're living right now. You're presenting that to God. And then there's the summation of time when we stand before him with our life. 
Now, he's not going to list our sins for you, but he's going to list what you have done, your fruit. A heart of wisdom, he says. A heart being, in this context, our inner being, the totality of our life. Have you ever thought about the totality of your life? Who you are in your inner being. He says that person, that being, should be wise. A being of wisdom. Now wisdom, of course, as you might remember, is not knowledge. Wisdom is the ability to use knowledge. So it's not so much about what you know about God, it's what you do with it. He says a heart. Of wisdom. That's the goal of life. That's what happens. That presentation is going to be his transformation of you. Are you allowing God to transform you, to teach you that you can become wise? We, I mean, we start out, I think Tim mentioned, we start out a dead, ignorant loser. Well, now that's too bad, but we've we got to get past that. You've got to grow into something in this life. Don't waste your time. Become a wise and faithful servant who's trusting the Lord in every way. Then in the end, he says, oh, do return to us and forgive us. You see, we worship a God of the second choice. We, got, we worship a God of thousands of second chances. He says, return our experience of loving kindness that we may sing for joy and be glad. So how are you doing today? Are you singing joyfully about life? Well, you should be, because if you aren't, you've forgotten the glory that this is going on here. And we have to recover to that, granted, you know. That's the whole point here. We can recover to it. Sing for joy and be glad all of our days. Really? In the desert? Do you know what it's like to be in the desert, God? Thirsty and this crummy government. People telling us what to do. We don't have enough food. It's expensive. In fact, I hate everything. And you're not doing that, are you? Well, if you are, you're what you are, right? You can. You can turn the ship around and 40 years, and they died. Now, don't die not having learned this. I don't know how many days you got left. But will you experience them in gladness and joy? Just look at, just look at life a little different, will you? Joel Toole says, He will give us back the years that the locusts have eaten. He will turn our sorrow to joy. So have you let the locust come and eat up a whole bunch of your life? Well, so where did we start this morning? Well, live a life that counts, will you? That's worthy that's worthy of the glory that has happened to us in Christ. Live a life that's worthwhile.
Where are you spending your life? Don't waste your life. Because we can. We can waste our life wishing for something else. But take what you have and let the Lord transform it into his glory. Whatever you have, that's what he's given you. Whatever place you live, that's what God has given you. And he wants you to glorify him in whatever that is. The chances are good he's not going to take you somewhere and everything's going to be glorious. You're going to live right where you are and you're going to glorify Lord right here. So do it. Someone's words who has driven me in the last 40 years of, of my, my life in uh, Africa uh, is the words of Jim Elliott. So Jim Elliott was a missionary, got killed by the Aka Indians at 28 years old. So this guy was in college in his mid-20s, and he wrote this. I think of what I was doing in my mid-20s, and it's pretty embarrassing. <laughs> Here's what Jim Elliott said, and I'm going to close with this. The words that drove my life and continue to. He wrote in his diary, God, I pray thee, light these idle sticks of my life that I might burn for you. Consume my life, O God, for it is yours. I seek not a long life, but a full one, like you, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, give us a fresh look at your glory today. Forgive us for fretting over ourselves in this broken world. Teach us to number our days in order that we too can present to you a heart of wisdom, and a life of faithfulness. Amen.